0: Welcome back to the Eco Christian Podcast, where we are exploring what it means to be Christian on planet Earth. I'm Caleb Cray Haynes. I'm in Nashville, and folks, it snowed big time here last week. I mean, as far as like Nashville snows go. And uh, my kids have been out of school for a long time at this point, so please excuse my lack of sanity. It's, uh, yeah, it's actually fascinating because. I grew up here, but my kids are getting way more snow days and fun in the snow than I ever did growing up. And the reason for that uh, is not because the climate isn't changing, but actually because the climate is changing. And uh, we're getting these big drops of snow that are happening, uh, some in the south, uh, because what was a colder and more stable jet stream slash polar vortex at the pole is now uh, imagine like a spinning top that's that's waffling right Uh, it looks like it's slowing down and gonna hit the table right so imagine uh, like these colder jet streams like that are just dipping further down at different times Uh, thus the giant snowman in my yard right now Um, so it's it's really interesting to see from this bigger Uh, Sort of climate perspective what's happening with uh, with these jet streams and even uh, long-term weather patterns, but to be honest also my kids did Flush ice cubes down the toilet and wore their pajamas inside out uh, In the effort to entice snow so it could have also been that so just total total disclaimer Um, Yeah, so actually um, segue (laughs) Today, friends, we're having a chat with co-executive director uh, of Creation Justice Ministries, uh, Avery Davis Lamb, And and Creation Justice Ministries represents the creation, care, and environmental justice policies of a lot of major Christian denominations throughout the United States, and they work to equip Christians toward restorative practices. Uh, So today we are actually uh, sitting down and talking with him about glaciers and watersheds and sacraments and a little bit of resilience in there as well, low low resilience, uh, which will now be my future rapper name. So just throwing that out there. So let's go. Welcome back, my friends. Uh, today, I'm very excited because uh, with me is in the virtual room, uh, Avery davis Lamb, uh, And he is the co-executive director of Creation Justice Ministries, as you may have heard about. And uh, he actually has a background in both ecological research and faith-based environmental organizing. Uh, studying ecology in various ecosystems and organizing faith communities across the country in support of Action on Environmental Justice. So previously, he has worked with uh, Sojourners and in Interfaith Power and Light. He holds a bachelor's in biology and sustainability from Pepperdine and master's in environmental management in ecosystem science and conservation with a certificate in community-based environmental management from the Nicholas School of the environment of duke university and just when you think it's over it's not because he also has a master's of theological studies with a certificate in faith food and environmental justice from duke divinity so so amazing his research focuses on the role of religious communities in building climate resilience uh, which i definitely want to get into and in adaptation um, with an emphasis on the virtue of climate hospitality i love that there's so much goodness in there welcome brother yeah thanks Caleb. happy to be here yes absolutely it's the beginning of a new year and um i don't know why i just got the feels for this year so i'm glad that i'm able to sort of kick things off with the conversation uh with you um i meant to ask i there's something about the name avery just sort of rolls rolls off the tongue what's the history do you have like a is there an etymology there you know where that comes from well it's
1: it's, it's a Welsh name, so, okay. you know, I don't know what percentage, but at least culturally, my family is very Welsh, Avery Davis. Davis is, I took my wife's last name, actually, so Lamb comes from her side, Davis is my side. Um, so Davis is Welsh, Avery Davis is Welsh. It was the a family name in that it was a last name in our family, and then made a first name. But Avery actually means King of the Elves. Mm. No way! <laughs> it's, it's very fitting for my, my interest in
0: Tolkien and Lord of the Rings as well. So. Yes, oh that's so good! Oh, I love that so much. Dude, this is like crazy. Just warm my heart. Oh man, that's that's really. I actually have like you can't our listeners can't see it, but I've got like an elf ear going on in one of my ears, and I always tell the kids that I'm part Keebler. But <laughs> um, man, I I love that, and I love how you took your wife's last name now, now, now my wife's going to hear this. And, you know, I think if we could rewind 15 years, like, you know, we, we would have done something different maybe, but that's, yeah, that's very progressive of you. Yeah. I mean, it was, it made sense for
1: us Yeah, and we could do to, you know, buck the patriarchy in our, our small. That's way. right.
0: Give it yeah. the boot. Give it the yeah. boot. Awesome. <laughs> well, yeah, I love to uh, maybe just Jump in with a bit of your eco-Christian narrative and story and history, and uh, you can sort of either dive us deep or wherever you want to go. And maybe um, you know, start with um, you know where you grew up and and kind of how you, how you got where you are. Yeah, I'd be glad
1: to. Yeah, and, and I'll I'll kind of share two stories that have been important to my my pathway, my ecological conversion. So I grew up in Topeka, Kansas. I grew up in the church, uh, uh, Southern Baptist Church in Topeka. I was a very churchy kid. I was really good at church, which is probably why I liked it so much. Um, just a, a really, religious kid. And, and at the same time, just felt such an innate connection to nature and to creation growing up. Loved being outside, loved working with my mom in the garden, all of that. That was, you know, in retrospect, that was very much my spiritual practice was being outside being in the garden but that wasn't the language that i really had growing up um in my church didn't really share an understanding of connection with creation or care for creation as a part of christian witness um so it wasn't well i'll i'll pause there and i'll share one story growing up that, that sort of contributed to my ecological conversion there was um the summer before I entered seventh grade, I uh, spent in southeastern Kansas, in a small town called Coffeeville, Kansas, where my aunt lived, where I starred in the local community college summer production of Chronicles of Narnia as Mr. Titus.
0: Yeah, you did.
1: <laughs> oh, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I was great. yeah, some of the pictures are amazing. Um, but anyway, before I got there that summer what year I think this was the summer of 2007 there was a a 500 year flood in that part of the country the Neosho River flooded came way over its banks and just totally devastated that part of the country of course now we know 500 year floods are way more common um but this one was particularly bad because the primary employer in Coffeeville is a crude oil refinery And what happened is that some of the workers at the refinery forgot to shut off the valves when the floodwaters came. And so they flooded the refinery and about 150,000 gallons of crude oil, 150,000 gallons of crude oil spilled out of the refinery into the community. Hmm. So I was there after the floodwaters had receded, but every day driving through town, you could smell it or you could smell kind of that freshly laid asphalt oil smell that was just inundating the soil that you know impacted um you know one of the other big employers in that area which is agriculture impacted the ability to actually grow crops in the soil that was now poisoned on you know houses there were oil marks three feet high on you know these small houses of of working-class neighborhoods and exes spray-painted on the doors condemning them just a total environmental justice catastrophe. And I I didn't have the language to think about it in this way then, but I I've come to see that as my first experience of a climate disaster. And that moment really shaped the way I relate to the world, you know, not only feeling that that connection and love for the beautiful parts of God's creation, but also an understanding of the brokenness in God's creation. Mm. Uh, as I reflected as well, thinking about the justice elements of this, you know, low-income, relatively rural part of the country that was suffering from the impacts of fossil fuels that created, you know, contributed to the crisis of that flooding, that created the crisis of soil poisoning in houses, and that those workers are really, you know, breathing in the fumes every day from the refinery. So that that was a really important point in my journey as far as, you know, starting to understand a bit of fallenness as far as our relationship to God's creation. Mm. Fast forward, um, about, I guess about 10 years from then, about 10, actually exactly 10 years ago, this past winter, I, uh, just finished my first semester at Pepperdine and went home to Kansas City for uh, a conference, a big conference, um, like 35,000 young evangelicals meeting in the city for, you know, a worship gathering. And I was at a real crisis moment in my faith because at that point, you know, I'd, I'd gone through high school, I'd received some more environmental science education, I'd gone through a first semester at Pepperdine, which is a beautiful landscape, and I've came to understand the environmental movement, feeling called in some ways to playing my role in the environmental movement. But I I looked around at this conference with all of these Christians and sure, you know, they were talking about some social issues, talking about global poverty, talking about uh, human trafficking, but no one there was talking about the environment. No one was talking about climate change. Hmm. No one was, you know, even mentioned what I had come to see as the most important issues for Christians to care about at this time. So I I sort of had a moment where I realized, okay, if this is... Christianity then I don't know if this is for me right? It, mm. if I have felt all of these close connections with God and nature and yet the churches that I'm a part of have nothing to say about our connection to God and creation or our role as caretakers then I'm not sure there's anything here for me Yeah, really really struggling with that over the course of the three days there and there's a moment where I, I felt the movement of God inside me you know i maybe i heard the voice of god i'm not sure but it was one of those distinct moments where you know that god is trying to communicate something to you and you know God was saying to me uh no there are people who have come before who you know are like you look to the scriptures and find everywhere throughout that i'm in creation that that you are to care for creation right find the people who are writing and thinking about this. Find the cloud of witnesses. Mm. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I I left there and I I, I did. I I committed to reading the scriptures and and finding the places, you know, really resonating with Genesis 2, resonating with Colossians, the Mm. Christ Colossians. Finding, I found Wendell Berry shortly thereafter, which was a huge transformative moment for me. So good. Theologians as well. Um, I just really started this path down for me it it was it was a saving moment for my faith but it was also a call moment where i realized okay if i'm going to be a christian i'm committing myself to this work
0: Mm. wow that's man i i love that and that uh that speaks a lot to your character that's it's really cool uh hearing about um your you know your story there connecting you know back to the, uh, you know, 150,000 gallons of oil, you know, pouring out into a place in a river in a time. you know, and that um, I think the temptation sometimes is to hear narratives like that or things like that. And it sounds like, oh, that that was that was a bad accident uh, as as if we're thinking of it like there, you know, this this one time thing that happens and then it feels, as, oh, that was just one time thing and we can forget about it until obviously, you know, and if you're listening to this, you could probably think back just like a year or two and, and, and name a couple other ones. Right. And what was that in Ohio and the train just like not that long ago. And, and, and these are recurring, uh, you know, this is, we, we're taking up as humans more and more quote unquote space. Uh, and we're, you know, and we're, we're human, uh, you know, and so, uh this this interaction uh between us and quote everything else in the natural world like uh the layers only getting more thin and i think right now we're in this time of like figuring out more than ever of what it means to um yeah no we we thought we knew what we were talking about when we were thinking about sustainability but as it turns out it's it's much more deeper uh, anyway, so I think this is a good transition because um, you you've been doing a little traveling and uh, and I recently saw that you had a piece in Sojourners about visiting Glacier National Park and it's called Baptized in the Meltwater of a Dying Glacier, uh, because if you're going to have a title, right, that's so good. Uh, so look that up, people. But I I wonder if you'd be willing to share some of that story with us with that place. And what was that like? And I I feel like I remember reading in the article that you kind of named it more of like a pilgrimage. Um, maybe you could sort of like paint the picture for us of, of what that was like for you. Yeah, yeah, I'd be glad to.
1: Yeah, well, the trip to Glacier was, you know, the highest highs in terms of coming face-to-face with some of the most profound beauty in God's creation. And the lowest lows in terms of coming to face with the ways in which... Our actions are destroying the most beautiful parts of God's creation, and those two were so interwoven throughout my my trip in Glacier. The whole time, you know, we're blanketed in, in smoke. It wasn't thick the whole time, but there was a little haze from the Canadian wildfires that this last summer you know, were constantly out of control. Um, Wow, the good park, at least a lot of the parts of the park that we were in where um, there were fire scars everywhere from wildfires that have happened over the last few years, more frequent wildfires that are happening more often than they should. And then, of course, the glaciers, you know, the the namesake of the park that are disappearing. Some predictions say that the glaciers in the park will be entirely gone by 2030. Mm. So, you know, pretty soon the park will have a name that no longer makes sense for what's actually found there. And what a, what a found lost to lose these priests that have witnessed to 6,000 years, you know? The, the entire course of the time that is recounted in, in the Bible, right, is... Yeah. These glaciers have been around, so... It was very much a a pilgrimage for me to go there and to experience, you know, an embodied experience of what's happening to our Mm. world. So one of the one of the most notable glaciers there is Grinnell Glacier. And um, for a while, it was most notable because it was one of the biggest and it was also one of the most accessible. It's about I guess it's about a, a five mile hike in five mile hike out. And so that was a pilgrimage that my friends and I, who were there together, did. We walked in, and um, we got to the base of what used to be the glacier. There were still some pieces of the glacier up, kind of on the mountainside, but it was just this milky blue water. I mean, the water was delicious, honestly. And it, like, yeah, because it's it's filled with these minerals, these dissolved minerals. It's just absolutely captivating. But it, it, it it's also sad because then you see this this dirty. Patch of snow on the side of the mountain. That is the rest of the glacier. So, we we jumped in because that's what we felt called to do. That's awesome! Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, got, it, uh, we got in the water. I don't know how cold it was. I wish I had a thermometer. It, it was yeah. not much above freezing in the yeah. water. What what time of the year was this? This this was in August.
0: This was in August, and it's. Obviously typically it's supposed to still be pretty cold there, especially at the altitude in yeah. August, I would imagine. Yeah,
1: yeah uh, the, the, the temperature was pretty warm. I'm not sure if that was typical or atypical. Um I mean, yeah, the the, the Melwater temperature was, was pretty cold. So we got in, we didn't spend long in there. We got out. Yeah. And were there people no, jumping in and all, or is this oh, the no, no, okay. no, no. <laughs> everyone was <laughs> like aside? but we were the only yeah. ones who were crazy enough to uh, get in. Um uh, you know, and we did that once, and then I was like, I, "I need, I need to do it." And so I got in, and I, I kind of sat in there for as long as I could survive. Felt like a minute; it was probably like ten seconds. Um, hmm. Because you know, we, we didn't originally see this as a ritual. It was you know us having fun, wanting to experience the world in a fun way. But on, I got a second time because I realized how important it was for me to do, you know, bodily. Experience this and you know sat on the slab of rock next to the water and started to think about this as a baptism mm. as you know the priest of the glacier baptizing me to you know a more a deeper connection with creation you know mm. that baptism as a witness for my love of creation a witness of the death that's happening there you know part of you know i suppose part of baptism is recognizing the crucifixion of jesus and in in that same moment recognizing the crucifixion of creation and of christ in creation mm-hmm. and uh, you know recommitting myself baptism as recommitment commitment and recommitment to love of the world love of the things that are dying and to this work that I'm called to of, of protecting and healing creation. Mm. And feel accompanied by creation in that, that it wasn't, you know, the only human element of that baptism was me, I suppose. The rest was God and Christ in creation facilitating the baptism. That that was so important to me.
0: Hmm. Wow. That's, that's like really, you know, I think a powerful uh, narrative and reminder for us. Um, I think wherever we're at and this sort of like important framing around baptism, um, you know, I think is particularly right as the church, as the people of God, like helpful to sort of grasp at these issues. And uh, what are what are the ways that this is already intersecting with our faith, right? Um, Because you know the temptation, I think, especially in evangelicalism, particularly perhaps over the last uh, several decades, is to sort of like that that a lot of what we believe or theology has sort of become disearth, unearthed, disembodied. um, You know when. Uh, of course it was never that way. And so, yeah, so I'm just thinking about more about this intersection between the sacrament of baptism and these kinds of experiences. Um, I think maybe I, I messaged or I mentioned in the email or something, I, I read this book, um, a year or two ago and it's actually a collection of essays put together by, by Chad Myers. It's called Watershed uh, Discipleship. And it kind of traces a similar narrative that I found like think, really helpful, um, you know, from obviously all the way to, from these like glaciers to even uh, right like the water in Flint um, and how we as, as people of faith have a significant role to, to play here, um, theologically, of course, but but practically and um, both. and And so, you know, I think it should make us ask more questions as people of faith about what's sort of occurring around us, what our engagement is within it. Uh, you know, our literal watershed. Um, you know, I think often, especially if you're in the city, it doesn't really feel like you're part of a watershed, but you are, uh, and you're sort of dependent on that and with them. And so, yeah. So I love that you actually went and got in the water, I guess, because you're able to sort of like place what I'm hearing you say, like place your body there, um, You know, because I think ultimately what we all need to do is sort of allow ourselves to be sort of submerged in the waters around us and all the sort of entangled uh, issues.
1: Yeah, and you know, an interesting piece that I found in in my research for this, as I was researching and and reflecting on my experience, is some really Christian teaching that said baptism should happen in living water, and the way that you know is understood is water that is moving water that, that, uh, you know, is alive. Mm. And I read that as, as water that's in creation, right? Go and get baptized in the river. If you can find one that's not polluted. That's right. You know, and I, it's, it's true of baptism. It's also true of, of a lot of the other sacraments is that these are embodied practices. These aren't just theologies that we hold, but these are place-based embodied practices. And so to the extent that we can situate these in our places, And embody them with our own bodies. Mm. That's that's what the teaching is about, right? And also that those are the rituals that are going to, Uh you know, build the mindsets, the body sets, and the tools that we
0: need to take on the climate crisis. Yeah, you know, I mean, it may be a little side trail over here, but that uh, really also has me thinking about, um, uh, again, sort of how sometimes we. Uh, or how we've been sort of uh, unearthing our sacraments. And like, yeah, you know, there's, a, there's a, a big church on the campus down the street from me on the college campus. And, uh, you know, I've, I've done some volunteering there over uh, my college years a long time ago. And anyway, the baptismal, and it's probably pretty similar for uh, probably some other large churches out there maybe, uh, but it's it's like buried within the stage. And so if you're going to have a baptism, like say whatever Sunday, like sometime before that day, uh, you know, you're of to have like a group of college people come in, move the staging, unquote, uh, uh, like archaeology type situation, uh-huh. bring out the baptism, fill it with water, uh, you know, but even in our small church growing up, it's sort of this uh, thing that's kind of hidden behind this curtain that, that maybe once a year we sort of pull the curtains back and then, and then like 12 hours later, it's full of uh, you know, cold to lukewarm water, you know, and it's um, and I'm not like I was baptized that way. I, I'm I'm not like saying like, hey, this is like the absolute wrong way to do it. Uh, but um, to your to your point, like, is it, you know, it's hard to it's hard to argue, uh, you know, that it's that it's living water. And I th- and I think the importance of this, quote unquote living water in the way we're using it right now uh, is thinking back sort of about this uh, theology of, of placeness, which I think is so much more critical to, uh, to our faith than, than we, than we ever give credit to hardly these days. But, you know, in kind of the same way, and we don't have to, this is a whole nother conversation, but kind of the same way with the Eucharist, and you know, this sort of like unrecognizable manna looking wafers, uh, with a cross on it. Or, or the, uh, everybody knows what I'm talking about, the creakly, crackly, plastic, you know, two-in-one uh, uh, McDonald's drive-through, you know. It's like, uh, you know, and I know we're not That's trying right. to share COVID, but.
1: Uh, oh, just, I, I mean, I've, I, I just see that as a desecration of the Eucharist, right?
0: It's just like, mm. you cannot get more from the intention yeah. of the Eucharist. Yeah, and that so was what. Exactly, and I think f- probably for people like us too, it's like, like we've, we've read all the stuff on like plastic and, and all that. Like, it's just, it's like, you know, it's, it's really, it is heartbreaking. Yeah. It feels very unearthed, I guess is, is, uh, kind of what I, I was hearing there, but, you know, I was thinking about, oh, go ahead.
1: Yeah. Just, just, uh, you know, a reflection on, you know, when, when a church decides to start doing baptisms outside, that also calls up a number of questions that are, are, going to require the church to understand its landscape more, right? What watershed are you in? Is the water polluted, right? Can you even do baptisms there? If it is polluted, maybe you should get involved in cleaning that up so that you can do baptisms there because it's maybe it's a religious freedom thing, right? That we should be able to be baptized in our local watersheds, right? All of a sudden, all of these watershed discipleship questions become really alive for a church in the way that they aren't if we're not actually... Engage, and then the, the, the same is true for the Eucharist right um what is the local agriculture like who are the bread bakers locally are they able to grow you know organically without a lot of uh, pesticides and fertilizers without polluting you know all of yeah. these once guard uh, earthing yeah. that's yeah, right man. right you start connecting uh, reweaving these threads of connection with the local creation
0: and local community in ways that our churches really should. That's right. You heard it here, folks. Earth your sacraments, um, the way God intended. So, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think we frequently miss, too. I was thinking about, like, Jesus was a person, obviously, who spent his entire life within a particular watershed. And I'm not sure that we completely realize that, you know, even for Jesus and his baptism, right, there were these environmental, social, political, uh, theological implications for Jesus to be baptized, even into the Jordan of his day, and so um, right, so Jesus, the incarnation, teaches us about this placeness, but um, but we we even miss, I think, sometimes that the Jordan and this sort of land around the Sea of Galilee was was really groaning under uh, Roman imperialism, uh, right? Sort of the empire was very busy colonizing and industrializing uh, these waters and so yeah anyway i guess so back to you know similar to how these glaciers are sort of groaning we could say under uh the privatization or the abuse of fossil fuels et cetera. you know and so i guess i wonder how you see the role of, of faith communities and what do you think you know kind of get into more of the grit here if we can of what do you think it looks like for for us of in the wake of these sort of environmental exploitations happening, maybe around where we live and where we worship as faith communities, to to submerge ourselves more.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I I do think that the first step for this is falling in love with your place. That can start with earthing the sacraments. Um, it can start with just creating space for for connection to creation. Uh, you know one of the very few silver linings of COVID is that more churches were meeting outside and saw that as a possibility mm. just understanding creation and our watershed as an extension of the church you know the, the walls of the church where oh you know I was taught this growing up the walls of the church don't end at the walls of the church right the church of the community and you know that includes a community of creation And so, falling in love, falling in love you know means that you're going to look more closely at creation and and in order to love a place we have to know a place and in order to heal a place we have to both know and love that place so mm. learning about the issues you know in in our watershed so many of our waterways are are polluted and you know I'll even speak for myself i i don't know all of the waterways in in my watershed here around durham that are polluted. I don't know the extent to which they are polluted. I don't know which ones are safe to swim in and which ones aren't. Um, So learning those things and and falling in love with them means that we're going to be inclined to work to protect them. And, you know, the good thing is that there are a lot of faithful people out there who are currently working to protect them. And so building partnerships, building collaborations um, with them, you know, finding volunteer work days with the local watershed association is such a fun way to do that yeah you know there's some communities for whom you know policy advocacy is going to be important and that's getting at what you were saying with you know the the empire of you know american consumerism the all the policy issues that are facing us the deregulation of pollution that is you know polluting our waterways understanding the issues is going to equip Mm -hmm. us to ask our lawmakers to be better right to ask them to demand for them really um uh to protect these places right so um i think for for any community there's a place to plug in maybe it starts at working these in with the rituals that we're doing maybe you're ready to do policy advocacy and that's awesome i would love for every community to end up there
0: um yeah that's I think those are really great points. It made me think too. Um, you know, I was thinking about the watershed, uh, the Mill Creek Watershed Association, which is around uh, where I live, and engaging there. and And it's like, um, you yeah, no, qu- know, a quick Google get, gets you connected with a lot of places. But I was also thinking about the 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 unique juxtaposition that I think a lot of churches are in. Because I know, uh, and I know you've worked for Interfaith Power and Light and whatnot, like. And, um, you know, a lot of these either watershed associations or Interfaith Power and Light or or whatever it is, like they're kind of looking for more partner churches, more hub sites, more places to have their meetings or, you know, and definitely just more involvement from their local churches. Uh, And it's and it's just such a no brainer, easy next step uh, to to connect with your community and uh, and obviously uh, the community of creation. Uh, around you. So that's, that's really good. Um, I, I love to kind of turn a corner here a little bit. Uh, I don't know how long we've been going, but, um, I know that you do a lot of work around resilience and obviously your research, uh, around the, the role of religious communities in, in building climate resilience and adaptation. I wonder if you would talk for a minute, uh, about resilience and about that. And, um, I know, I know that's a word that's sort of tossed around, but maybe not you know, maybe not as not understood, um, very well sometimes around, um, what that means for us, particularly as faith communities. So anyway, I wonder if you'd maybe jump in that for a minute and describe resilience and, and why that is something for us to focus on as, as people of God.
1: Yeah. Oh, I would love to. Yeah. You know, I'll, I'll start with the kind of the guiding question for me in this work, which is just how, how can our communities of faith be hubs of resilience? Helping our communities weather the physical, social, and spiritual storms of the climate crisis. So recognizing that we are uniquely situated as people of faith, as congregations and communities, to address the crises on all those levels, right? We have the the physical, social, and spiritual assets to bring to bear to help folks make it through all of the storms that we're facing right now. So you're right. Resilience. Oh, it's such a sexy word right now. Everyone loves to talk about resilience, but but what the heck is it? Um, the, the way that I d- define resilience is that resilience is climate mitigation plus climate adaptation plus deep democracy. And this is not my own definition. This is one that comes from a report called Pathways to Resilience from the Kresge Foundation. And what they mean by that is that resilience isn't just bouncing back, All right? I think often we hear resilience and, you know, it's like people saying to folks who are going through disasters, oh, you're so resilient or, you know, or folks who are, who are marginalized, oh, you know, you, you just bounce back so easily, right? That doesn't really get at the root issues that, that that we need to address. And so, um, that's why mitigation is important, you know, to have a resilient world, we need to prevent as much warming as we physically can. And so that means cutting emissions drastically and immediately, climate mitigation. Adaptation is creating changes in communities, both, both physical and social, so the communities are able to weather the impacts that we know are coming. Um, and then democracy, or, or deep democracy, is what the Kresge Foundation report calls it, is addressing those systemic issues that are are preventing us from making the changes that we need to have. So, you know, barriers to voting barriers to civic participation, you know, threats to democracy that we're seeing, all of these are so intimately and deeply related to climate change because the the folks who are being shut out from our democracy are precisely those folks who are most deeply impacted by climate change. And so if we're going to have any hope of addressing the crisis, we need to figure out a way to make sure that all of these people, all of these people of God, have a way to participate in our democracy.
0: It's really in wow you you got that down bro yeah yeah <laughs> yeah years of talking about resilience <laughs> yeah 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 that's that's really uh, that is that is really helpful to talk about because um yeah it's 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 grabbing that uh that change that that has to occur i i like how you said it's not about bouncing back uh necessarily but it's about you know there's a transformation Aspect. I think
1: forward. I'm often I will say it. it's not bouncing back; it's bouncing forward into beloved community, right? Into the world we want to
0: inhabit. Yeah, that's man. That's that's really helpful. Um, I think we're gonna have to do a 2.0 on that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, let, I, before we kind of like tie a bow on anything, I, I want our listeners to hear more about CJM uh, Creation Justice Ministries, which is where you're the co-exec with Karen and uh, you know I know she's she's awesome and uh, and you guys have a a wonderful mission there Uh, tell us about tell us about Creation Justice Ministries and what programs you guys are up to and what resources uh, are available for um, people to connect with you
1: yeah I'd be glad to yeah you know our mission is is really three three parts it's to educate equip and mobilize Christians to to better care and love for God's creation. Um, so for, for education, we uh, create and release a lot of resources that are both theological education, but also policy education. We do our best to combine the two. So a little sneak peek: we have an Earth Day Sunday resource coming out later in January. Um, not gonna not gonna release the theme just yet, um, but you can find out soon um, that does combine those two. And so a lot of these resources provide. Um, you know, there's liturgies, there's prayers, there's songs, there's sermon starters for folks who preach. Um, we, we, we try to make it really accessible and helpful for folks who are planning research, for clergy and for lay leaders who are interested and, and need resources um, to talk about creation, you know, from the pulpit or an adult education, wherever it is. So we have a whole archive of these resources as well on our website, creationjustice.org resources as a resource hub. And we have a whole slate of of different kinds of resources there. So that's Educate Equip. You know, part of this is is, uh, helping folks get the training that they need to talk about creation justice and and climate change. And so we have a few programs where we do this. We have kind of ongoing webinar series that you can find um, on our website and and through our email newsletter. We also host regional clergy trainings um, occasionally. So this year we have a few coming up. We have one in Georgia at the end of this month. We've mm-hmm. Maine over the summer, and then one in North Carolina also over the summer. So if you're in any of those areas, hit us up for those.
0: Yeah. What is maybe what does like one of those entail? Uh, yeah, those Cliff notes.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, uh, what we like to do for these is bring together scientists, theologians, and ministry leaders to be in conversation with each other. So it's we we want it to be a transformational retreat instead of a transactional one. So we're not just kind of up there presenting information. But it's about um, these leaders being in conversation with each other, engaging in dialogue, building connections and relationships with each other, and and, and really learning together. And especially having the scientists there is really fun mm. because the scientists learn from the theologians, the scientists learn from the ministry leaders. You know, everyone learns from everyone, so a good opportunity uh, to kind of deepen interest, you know, and, and, and knowledge about creation justice issues, but also to, and and they're, they're always regional. The people there, including the scientists are always from that region. So to deepen relationships and, and build social networks uh, with the folks who are in your
0: neighborhood. That's, that's what's up. That's, that's great, man. Awesome. Well, I think um, people connecting with creation justice ministries is a great way for folks to kick off their new year here in 2024 and stay tuned for uh, obviously more resources from them this spring particularly their Earth Day Sunday resource. I'm also excited about. Um, so that's that's wonderful. So, man, Avery, thanks for all you do for the kingdom, brother. Yeah, thanks, Caleb. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, this has been a wonderful, wonderful conversation. And we're going to put some things in the show notes. I, I'm going to I want to link especially your article. And obviously, uh, maybe some of the books that we've mentioned and um, creation justice ministry. So I'm um, looking forward to connecting soon. I hope that this has been fruitful for you. Consider how how can your congregation engage sacramentally with the earth? We want to hear from you. Uh, we want to hear what you're thinking about the podcast. We want to hear stories. Uh, we want to talk with you. So email us at ecochristianpodcast at gmail.com. Follow us on social media. There's links in the show notes. And y'all, we're a We're a baby podcast, and we need your help to lift up and pass along these hopeful and needed conversations in the church. So leave us a review on your chosen platform and share this with your church people. All right, y'all. Grace and peace.